Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where we will be discussing one of the most significant pushbacks to Pope Francis we've seen since the beginning of the pontificate, one where it appears Pope Emeritus Benedict himself is also involved. Stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On this show, we have discussed numerous confusions coming from the Vatican and even from the Pope himself. Degrading the importance of pro-life issues vis-a-vis immigration inside a papal document. The Pope's embracing of homosexual couples rather than lovingly calling them to conversion. Papal permission for communion for divorced and remarried couples. Papal permission for communion for Protestants. Pope Francis's allowance for contraception in grave circumstances such as Zika virus his change of the catechism on the death penalty, and much more. But there's a new development that has awakened more pushback than we've ever seen before, and that is the attempted destruction of what has been called the crown jewel in the legacy of Pope St. John Paul II, the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and the Family. And that's why today it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to LifeSite's Rome correspondent, Diane Montagna, who is covering all these issues from the ground. Diane is a veteran Rome correspondent, having worked for the Vatican as a translator and then for Alatea before coming to LifeSite. Diane, welcome to the program. Thank you, John Henry. It's good to be with you. So, Diane, since you're there on the ground in Rome, can you give us, uh, first of all, a little bit of the background of this case and perhaps also the sequential ordering of how this took place? Sure, John Henry. So this all began in 2017, September of 2017. Uh, It's important for the viewers to know that this was just days, literally days after Cardinal Cafara, who was the cardinal whom Pope uh, John Paul II asked to found the original John Paul II Institute. So this is in September. Cardinal Cafara had just died. He had, he actually hadn't, uh, they hadn't had his funeral yet, f- funeral yet. And so people were still mourning. Um, Pope Francis issued a motu proprio, um, effectively, uh, juridically suppressing the John Paul II Institute and replacing it with a new institute. Uh, in light of the two family synods that had just occurred, and also in light of Amores Laetitia. Okay. Um, the Holy so, Father also... Yes. So you were saying uh, he issued a motu proprio. What is a motu proprio? Right. Well, the, a motu proprio, this would be... Uh, this motu proprio was in the form of an apostolic letter, a motu proprio. So that means that the Pope uh, personally issues this edict or decree to the Church or to a particular part of the Church. Okay, so that basically, while the sort of founding president has just died before he's even buried, uh, the Pope issues a personal document basically getting rid of this institute. Um, is that is that a sort of accurate reflection? I think that's, I mean, that's what, that's what the facts bear out. Okay. Um, and what was interesting also about the motu proprio, in terms of uh, the rationale for founding the in- new institute, the document says that in light of anthropo- anthropological and cultural changes, um, uh, it's necessary to, not necessarily leave behind, but in part leave behind former ways, former models 
of pastoral ministry and pastoral mission. Uh, what's interesting for the viewers to know about that, um, because not everyone is is familiar in detail with the John Paul II Institute. Um, what's interesting is that it was already very, very interdisciplinary, and it drew on, drew on some of the fa best faculty from various disciplines, from psychology, from the medical community, um, theology, philosophy, etc. So the idea that somehow a new institute needed to be founded in order to expand um, expand the mission of the JP2 Institute um, is a little bit odd. Mm -hmm. uh, and and this, uh, this also came in a time when the Institute was actually very, very fruitful. I mean, this wasn't just um, as good as it is, you know, it wasn't just young students fresh out of university who were going to the JP2 Institute. You, always, you also had doctors, lawyers, psychologists, that is, people who were already had a professional career who studied, studied the JP2 in order to better serve, um, to better serve families. So wow. that was the original genesis, was the, the modo proprio in September of 2017. Amazing. And, and so this is basically a reformulation of something while the founding president is just died. The professors are kind of mourning his death. And then it's sort of dismantled under their noses before even they've buried um, Cardinal Kafara. Uh, that that all by itself is unbelievable. But then you're saying that um, they've gone from uh, um, addressing what, in in the words of uh, you know Cardinal Kafara, and I'm sure you'll get to this at some point. But you know, with some of the most important questions on life and family today, taken from I would presume things like Familiaris Consortio of John Paul II and things. And then switching them over to uh, an ad regarding, as you said, amoris laetitia. Yes. Well, I probably those who those who are carrying this out would not say that they're necessarily leaving behind, say, uh, foundational documents that mm -hmm. JP two left us with, whether it's familiaris consortio or veritatis splendor that was his document his encyclical on um, the moral life mm -hmm. whereas familiaris consortio was the document on family life they would pro they probably would not argue that they were leaving these behind but that amores laetitia and the new mission of the new institute was in continuity hmm. with what had gone before that would generally i think be be their argument, but mm -hmm. that in light of these anthropological and cultural changes, we need to expand their vision even more. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that would probably that would be the way that they would they would argue that. Mm -hmm. um, we might go back to uh, an, an important element um, in terms of the modo proprio was that it decreed that new statutes needed to be drawn up for the new institute, and that's where the crux of of what we've seen this summer comes. Uh, so that was the the monoproprio was issued in September 2017. In terms of the timeline events, this would have to deal with you know the 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 Rome Institute, um, and it would it would reflect uh, what was going on in terms of the the professors and the new chancellor and the new president um, and in the development of those statutes. The new chancellor, of course. That, uh, who was appointed by Pope Francis was Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, and the 
the new president was Pierangelo Monsignor Pierangelo Sequeri. Uh, so these two men, the following June, this would be June 2018, uh, they met with all of the professors and they, um, prof the president, Sequeri, he presented to, at, at, the, at the order of, of Archbishop Palia, he presented to the faculty, including the tenured faculty, new statutes. Now, these new statutes, um, according to sources, would have immediately necessitated that all of the professors uh, were suspended. This happens in June 2018. The professors respectfully but forcefully protested this, and they petitioned both Archbishop Palia as well as Monsignor Sequeri uh, to be involved in the formulation of the new statutes, and they wanted them to be in continuity with those statutes which, with which John Paul II had originally established the JP II. If you segue, so that's in June 2018, you segue to uh, the next year, we're in now 2000, 2019. Those proposals, I believe it may have been at the end of March, um, that I, date I would need to check, but the point is, is that in the spring, um, uh, the professors, along with Sequeri, President Sequeri, um, uh, submitted new statutes that they had worked on jointly, they submitted them to Archbishop Palia. Now, Archbishop Palia, along this time, he had been formed step by step that the that the faculty, the tenured professors, along with President Sequeri, were reformulating these statutes. Um, they were turned in, and I believe it was March. Um, and then, interestingly, already, uh, what was happening in February and March, that the courses, because naturally this is an academic institution, the courses for the following academic year need to be, um, need to be determined. So they had already uh, requested of the, the professors, all of the professors, to um, submit their proposals for courses for the following academic year, that is 2019-2020. So the academic year that we're just about to enter into now those courses were submitted, and actually, the new curriculum—well, curriculum—the new um, the new uh, list of courses was already approved uh, later in the spring. So the professors knew what courses that they were going to be teaching for the for the fall for this new academic year. And students in June, these this is all public; it's all online. Uh, and the students were able to register for courses for the new academic year. At the same time, these statutes had, that they were working on together had been given to Archbishop Palia, and the professors didn't really hear anything more. Mm -hmm. Now, segue to last month, to it was July 18th, and the professors learned about the new statutes um, that they had been approved by the Congregation for Education through Archbishop Palia, they only learned about it from the Osservatore Romano, that's the, the official or semi-official Vatican newspaper. They didn't, and those statutes were not even really, they weren't published in full at that time. It hmm. was, the news was just put out that the statutes were approved. So actually, yeah. all of the tenured professors and the other professors who have been teaching at the JP2 Institute, they only found out about that new statutes had been um, approved through the media. Wow. A couple of days later, all of the professors um, received uh, a letter 
saying that they were suspended um, and, you know, subject to their reappointment in the autumn. Um, and then one or two days later, it was um, uh, where, and this is where a lot of the controversy is, is Monsignor Molina, who had served as the president of the Institute from 2006 to, I believe, 2016. He held the chair of uh, fundamental moral theology. Mm-hmm. He, along with Father Jose Noriega, who had the chair of specific moral theology mm-hmm. and was a key person at the JP2, they both received letters saying that they were dismissed, that their chairs were eliminated from the new statute, so no more chair of fundamental moral theology, as well as no more course of fundamental moral theology, which is quite unbelievable that the JP2 Institute, that they would have no actual course on fundamental moral theology. Wow. Also, the chair of uh, Professor um, Noriega had been eliminated and his courses had been eliminated. So, you know, wow. in the beginning to say you know, the, um, people were taking issue with saying that these professors had been fired. Okay, well, technically, maybe they hadn't been fired um, but they were certainly dismissed um, and their positions were removed. Uh, And then a couple of days later, people like Professor Stanislaw Griegel, who was a personal and great friend of Pope John Paul II, um, he held a chair uh, also at the uh, the Institute. And while that chair, I believe, still remains, um, his courses, which, you know, um, mindful of what uh, we just said a few minutes ago, the course listing for the new academic year had already been approved. And now they were told that in light of these changes, basically your course won't be offered anymore. And so um, we'll, we'll, we appreciate your work. We'll think about it for the future. But in effect, it's a dismissal. Wow. So just to recap, yeah. to recap, this, this sounds so unbelievable. It's, it's hard to actually imagine. You said that Pope Francis appointed as chancellor of this newly revised institute, if you will, uh, Archbishop Paglia. Isn't that the same Archbishop Paglia who was so controversial uh, back before he even came to Rome? He was the uh, Archbishop in Terni, and he did that uh, horrific mural inside the cathedral there in Terni, which was of our Lord lifting up two sort of nets of uh, men and women nude who were homosexual and all sorts of things. And, And he's in there too, nude, embracing a nude man. Um, he was then brought into Rome and the head of the Pontifical Council for the Family, and they introduced at World Youth Day Poland this horrific um, sex ed program that was explicit and, and created all sorts of uproar in Poland. The same man was then put in charge of the, this is Archbishop Pogli again, put in charge of the Pontifical Academy for Life, and... Uh, I reformed the whole thing, kicking out, again, doing a very similar thing to what we hear here um, with the the Institute, sort of getting rid of everybody and then bringing back only some and getting rid of the most faithful members and then inviting some uh, actually pro-abortion and, and pro-euthanasia members to the Pontifical Academy for Life. And it's the same guy Pope Francis puts now in charge of the Institute, and he seems to be doing a very similar thing. Yeah, well, and, you know, in addition to everything that you've just said, John Henry, there's also the fact that um, Archbishop Paglia doesn't even have a doctorate. 
And according to these new statutes, he was, it gave him a, a great deal of power over the hiring and firing of new professors. Now, mm. one would hope that a chancellor of an institute would actually be a high level academic who could, you know, understand the intricacies of academic life and even the basics. Uh, but it seems in this case that was all set aside. Um, Yes. So, but the, the the thing about Archbishop Palia too. Yes, he's chan he's chancellor, but Archbishop Palia cannot. He could not have accomplished this on his own. Uh, the Congregation for Education approved the new statute, so certainly there are questions um, that uh, remain there. Uh, there's also the probably the one of the main questions, and that what is the role that Pope Francis played. Mm -hmm. in this. So far, he's been silent um, uh, amid a lot, a lot of the, the criticism um, that came after, after this erupted in July. Archbishop Pagliar's secretary, um, this came out through the Catholic Herald. Um, he told the Catholic Herald that uh, they were going to take the month of August in order to prepare uh, answers and the response to all of the criticism um, and questions that they've gotten. One would have thought that, you know, to do something this big, they would have they would have known uh, that there was going to be a fallout from it and would have already been prepared. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what they come up with and how they respond in September. It is important, though, for the viewers to know, you know, just in terms of the way that things work in Rome, that, you know, Archbishop Palia had these had these statutes approved in July. July mm -hmm. is generally the month, it's one of the hottest months of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Holy Father would traditionally go on vacation uh, during that month. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, it's really a low time, not a time when you, um, when you um, uh, would do something like this normally. So, right. yes. Right, and, and what, one of the things you mentioned earlier was about how at this time already, when, when this becomes clear, the students have already chosen their courses. People are expecting yeah. to go into this next calendar school year uh, with, with you know, their courses chosen, their profs chosen, and then it's all turned around. We have uh, with us today also uh, one of the former students, or one of the current actually, uh, doing his thesis at the, at the Institute, uh, who was all set to go and ready, and now his professor's been dismissed. We're going to just hear from now Brian Limas. People would ask me what was what was the kind of environment in the JP2 over those two years before. Obviously, now these these uh, statutes have been have been approved, where my now my thesis director has been dismissed. Um, and 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 honestly, it was if you've seen the Titanic, uh, there's a classic scene of the orchestra saying one last time to play, and they're they're playing as they go down. Um, you know, and, and and honestly, it was one of the most tragic events of seeing. Cardinal Gofaro, you know, uh, the, the role that he played in this institute, um, the rock of that, and um, and then slowly seeing the deterioration from within of the the true legacy that John Paul, St. John Paul II has left for all of us to, to be there um, and to be a part of the last class that got to receive the formation from these dismissed professors. Um, what an honor, but also what a responsibility. Um, Diane, let me let me go back for a second to to what you said there. Uh, we were talking about Archbishop Palia and how he, when he was the 
uh, or as he was head of the Academy for Life, the Pontifical Academy for Life. And he did a very similar thing to what he's done here with the John Paul II Institute. He sort of fired everyone or got rid of everyone and brought back some of the people leaving out the, those actually who are closest to John Paul II, but also brought in some new people into the Academy for Life who were exactly the opposite of what you'd expect people who were actually pro-abortion, pro-euthanasia. Unbelievable stuff. And you've reported that uh, Paglia and part of the Institute now um, has done something quite similar to what he did with the Academy for Life. What was that? Yeah, it's John Henry. So we reported this came out um, uh, not long after um, the the news of the dismissals of Monsignor Molina, um, Father Noriega, and the suspension of all of the professors. Um, we then heard, we confirmed it uh, with several very uh, good and informed sources in Rome that uh, Archbishop Paglia uh, and, and uh, President Sequeri uh, were, uh, had invited uh, Father Maurizio Chiodi to teach at the new institute. Now, that appointment has not been made official yet, uh, but the invitation was was given. Now, readers will remember um, Father Maurizio Chiodi uh, from the the uh, 50th anniversary year of Humanae Vitae. Uh, and as you mentioned, John Henry, Father Father Chiodi, he's actually one of the new members of the Pontifical Academy for Life. Um, but during the 50th anniversary year of Humanae Vitae, one of the pontifical universities in Rome sponsored a lecture series um, uh, for the for the anniversary, and they featured in December of that year um, a lecture by Father Chiodi. Now, at that lecture, um, I was in attendance. Um, uh, we translated um, and published his lecture in full on LifeSite News. Uh, Father Chiodi argued on the basis of Chapter Eight of Amores Laetitia that under under certain circumstances, um, responsible parenthood might actually require and certainly justify couples uh, to use contraception, which of course is, you know, completely against both the letter and spirit of Humanae Vitae. Um, so this same Father Chiodi is now being, uh, was now invited to teach at the new JP2 Institute. Uh, to add to all of this, uh, just after we heard the news about the dismissals, um, Father Chiodi was featured in an interview with Luciano Moya. He's a, a, a journalist for Avenire. Avenire, um, uh, readers may know, is the, uh, the, it's the official newspaper of the Italian bishops. This time, the, the, uh, the interview was on homosexuality and the church's stance, pastoral stance, towards uh, people with same-sex attraction, although this interview termed them homosexuals. Um, and certainly, certainly the, the, the church uh, seeks to bring everyone to Christ. Um, so, you know, that being said, in this interview, Father Chiodi argued um, on, he argued that it could be good in certain circumstances for a person with same-sex attraction who's actively involved in a homosexual relationship to continue and to be faithful, let's say, to that relationship, that that could actually be good for the human person. Now, that too is really against 
uh, what the church would see just in terms of her understanding of the human person, in terms of virtue, and in terms of sin. Um, so that, that, that interview with Father Chiodi was featured just days after we heard the, the news about the dismissals of, um, of the professors from the JP2. Um, so if Father Chiodi is an example of the kind of the professor uh, and the kind of expansion uh, that they're looking for at the new JP2 Institute, uh, it doesn't bode well. No. Well, let's let's hear from Brian again. Brian, who uh, was a student at the JP2, uh, was uh, talked to me about how uh, you know this the kernel or the heart, if you will, of the JP2 Institute was really to defend the teaching uh, laid out in Humani Vitae. And as uh, he's described it, it is sort of uh, the crown jewel of the legacy of John Paul II. And it's really being undone here with the bringing in of these professors. So now the motu proprio and these statutes totally make sense because if the whole purpose of the Institute was to defend the teachings of Humana Vitae, which is obviously so foundational to the integral vision of the person and, and who we are as man, woman, the definitive understandings of all these, of all these teachings, then it, it totally makes sense to replace with the Moritz which is littered with so many errors. It's littered with, 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 with so many theological misun um, ambiguities, you know, and, and that's now the foundation of Francis's Institute for Marriage and Family. So let's go back to Diane Montagna now in Rome. Um, what is happening right now? Uh, is it true now that basically uh, this whole legacy of John Paul II in terms of the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and the Family is now dead and gone? Is it a done deal? Is there any pushback? What's actually happening? Yes, well, uh, that's a very good question, John Henry. And I think it remains to be seen. You know, following the dismissals of the, uh, of the, of the professors, um, and the suspension of all of the professors, we saw a, um, a considerable pushback, uh, both on the part of students and former students, alumni of the Institute, as well as um, a growing number of academics in the wider academic world. Over 250 students and alumni wrote a letter to President Sequeri and to Archbishop Paglia uh, with their concerns about it. And, you know, we have to keep in mind that many of these students, especially those students who have uh, begun the license program, uh, the doctoral program, um, many of them are left not knowing their, their, their directors have been dismissed. Uh, they really don't, their course listings have been changed. And we're already in August, and the academic year is in, in, in Rome, it begins later. The academic year generally begins around October, but they're really left in the lurch, um, regarding this. Um, academics have also protested. We had, um, 49 academics. Now these, all of these academics, what they held in common was they had all contributed to a new dictionary on, I won't get the exact title, uh, but it was on human love, sexuality, fecundity that had been published in Italian. It was, uh, published by Cantagalli. Um, and I think was to be expected also in other languages. All of those professors who had contributed to this dictionary, and it's important to remember about this dictionary, that the key editor of it, um, and a lot of the publications at the JP2 Institute was Father Noriega. Father Noriega was dismissed from the Institute, as I said before, in part because his chair was eliminated, but another rationale 
that was given for his dismissal, that he's also the, uh, the superior of a religious community. And according to the new statutes or according to law, that's not, that's not, that's not allowed. Now, he had been teaching there since May, perhaps 2008, might not have that date exactly right, but he had been teaching there for a long time. And certainly there are other, um, there are other people who teach at the JP2 Institute who hold other careers and have other obligations. Um, but to go back to the, the, the letter, this letter came from 49 academics who had all contributed to this new dictionary, uh, that was very, uh, very, um, very thorough, uh, to carry on the teaching of the church and to be a real resource for people. Uh, so in terms of what's going to happen, um, you know, it's again, it's, it's summertime in Rome and this was done at a low time. Uh, we have had, um, following a lot of criticism, following some of these initiatives, uh, we had, uh, Archbishop Pallia's secretary come out, uh, and he spoke to the Catholic Herald and said that they were going to take some weeks during August in order to formulate a response to some of the criticisms. One would have thought that to do something this monumental, uh, for something so important and so fruitful in the church as the JP2 Institute, that they would have already had a rationale prepared. Uh, so we'll see, we'll wait and see what happens in September. But I, I have it from good sources that there are other initiatives in the works. And uh, I mean, some observers have said that um, they very much want the story to die down in the media, but I don't expect that's going to happen. No, certainly not in at part, LifeSite News. In part, in part, if I make yes, in part because, um, as I believe it was noted in the, in the letter of the 49 academics, you know, to the, the academic world, as I believe Janet Smith said in your, in your, in one of your last episodes, you know, this is not the way that the academic world works. Um, and these are scholars. These are professionals. They've invested a lot of their lives, much of their lives into this. Um, so, and this does not, it looks bad for the Catholic Church. Uh, to the rest and to the wider academic community. And also in terms of the, the consequences of what this means for the church and for uh, Catholic academics. Is it now the case that if you're not willing to go beyond what the tradition says about new documents that are coming out from the Vatican, that you'll be punished or that you might lose your position at your Catholic university? Uh, what will it mean for seminaries? Uh, so there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of questions to be answered. And a lot of this story goes beyond the JP2 Institute itself as important, uh, uh, as important as that is. Absolutely. I think what, one of the things we have to remember uh, is that, you know, with these students who are protesting publicly, They've already yeah. invested, as you said, much of their money, time, livelihood. This is their future yeah. that they're putting on the line for this. These professors, some of them are at pontifical universities or Catholic universities where they are perhaps themselves in danger, especially ones not tenured yet. So they're investing a lot in daring to protest against this. We've heard many uh, of them who are priests who might also be in, in trouble, in trouble, if you will, uh, from their bishops because it appears what's happening is, is quite ruthless. 
It was uh, Professor Molina, I believe, in one of the articles uh, where he described how in the, in the olden days, if you will, when there were uh, professors at Catholic universities who really did oppose not only the, the, the papal or Vatican teaching, but, but all, all of tradition, they were given an opportunity for redress and there had to be a case before they were dismissed. Yet here, these faithful professors who were trying to sort of interpret Pope Francis in a way that's sort of in line with Catholic tradition are immediately dismissed as if, you know, there, there's, there's no ability to try and interpret uh, Amoris Laetitia, let's say, in a Catholic sounding way. No, you have to go with this sort of stamped interpretation that it appears, at least from what Pope Francis has said and done with regard to stamping it in the Acta Apostolica Sedis, as we mentioned at the top of the program, uh, needs to be the only interpretation. In fact, that's what he said, uh, Pope Francis, that is, said it, it was the only interpretation. And it appears here that these, uh, these professors are being dismissed without any chance for redress, um, whereas even in the past, with those professors who were really off the page in terms of Catholic thought, they were given much, much more leeway to argue their cases before their dismissal. Yes, that's what uh, that was the point that Monsignor Molina made in the first interview that he gave to the Italian press that we then published in full. Uh, he looked back at many of the many people, many professors who openly um, who openly went against the church's teaching. And at least in that case, they were given a process by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. They were given an opportunity to to respond to concerns. But in this case, they are being punished, it seems, and what seems to have been revealed, they're being punished for interpreting uh, Amores Laetitia in line with the church's tradition. Um, so yes, it's really quite serious. And again, uh, this has wider consequences for a Catholic academic communities, uh, potentially for seminaries and for the church. Absolutely. And it appears we've saved some of the best for last because I want to address really probably one of the key things that's happened, which to this point hasn't happened before. And that's why at the beginning of the program, I talked about how this might be something brand new. This might be so important, a development that it's got, as you said, more academics, more people awake and protesting against these changes than we've ever seen before. But there's a new element, and that new element is with Pope Benedict. Why don't you explain for our viewers what that's all about? Oh, well, yes. Uh, so Pope Benedict, uh, of course, Pope Benedict, uh, The viewer, it'll be important for the viewers to know that Pope Benedict and Monsignor, well, Pope Benedict himself has a very long history with the JP2 Institute, of course. He was, when it was founded, he would have been the prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith um, under Pope John Paul II. Um, he has a long and fruitful relationship with the Institute. Uh, and with Monsignor Molina, who served as president for a decade. Uh, so after all of this happened in this July, on August 1st, um, Pope Benedict met privately with Monsignor Molina. Uh, uh, I believe it was CNA who reported on it. And uh, they, they, they published both a photo 
and some comments about the meeting. Now, it's important for the viewers to know that generally that would, if a photo is issued from the Vatican or if comments from such a meeting were made, that's done with the approval of both parties. Um, and the comments, um, the comments, what was key in the comments, I think, that it was Pope Benedict who initiated the private meeting with Monsignor Molina and that they discussed at length uh, what had happened with the JP2 Institute. And at the end of the conversation, he gave Monsignor Molina his blessing um, and, um, and promised solidarity uh, with him uh, as this unfolds. That, that's amazing to understand the gravity here. This is really yeah. the first time uh, Pope Benedict has sort of inserted himself in a way into a debate where it's going on with Pope Francis directly. And yes, it's mild or might appear mild, but there's actually quite, quite something to allow for a photo with the dismissed professor to allow it to be known that he supports him, that he gave him his blessing, is a, is a very strong, even though it might not appear so, it's actually a very strong statement all by itself. So we are seeing some movement in this sphere that we've never, ever seen before. And so we'll see what comes of this. Um, Diane, with regard to... Uh, hope for the future, uh, what might you say to uh, give us some closing words? Oh, uh, closing words, you know, in all of this, I, um, I, was, I was thinking of Cardinal Cafara. Of course, when the motu proprio, as we said it at the beginning of our conversation, John Henry, the motu proprio uh, that got this all started was, was signed um, just days after Cardinal Cafara's death and before he was even buried. Um, I had the honor of interviewing Cardinal Cafara a couple of months before his death. It took place at the Rome Life Forum in Rome. And uh, the, within, the, within the interview, we were talking about the, the letter that Sister Lucia, who your, your viewers will know is one of the three Fatima visionaries, a letter that uh, she had written to Cardinal Cafara uh, back in, the, in the, the early days of the Institute, I believe that Cardinal Cafara had written to Sister Lucia simply to ask for her prayers because the Institute, he said, was going through trials, both from those inside and outside the church that didn't want it. Um, and he said he didn't expect to hear back from her, but, uh, but she wrote. And she said these words, I'll just, I'll just, um, she said to him, Father, a time will come when the decisive battle between the kingdom of Christ and Satan will be over marriage and family. And those who will work for the good of the family will experience persecution and tribulation. But do not be afraid, because Our Lady has already crushed his head. In the, in the May 2017 interview that I did with Cardinal Cafara, he said that her letter, quote, remained engraved on my heart, and amid all the difficulties we have encountered, and there have been so, so many, these words have always given me great strength. But then the Cardinal said to me, I asked if he thought that the, if Sister Lucia's words were prophetic, and he said to me, what Sister Lucia wrote to me is being fulfilled today. So I think we really need to, we need to cling to prayer. Uh, we need to turn to Our Lady. Prayer is more powerful than anything and any powers in this earth. Uh, and so we, I think we need to really remain hopeful. Uh, uh, pray for the professors of the Institute. 
pray for Archbishop Palia, pray for Monsignor Sequeri, pray very much for Pope Francis and for all of those involved um, that, um, that something can be done because there's still time. Amen. Amen. And let's, uh, let's take a look at what Brian had to say in terms of being hopeful and really standing up for the truth. Even in my last semester there, there was an event that wasn't publicized by the Institute, but yet was one of the most highly attended uh, events. And it was, it was a dissertation that was presented as a book uh, talking about the, uh, these letters that were recently published about Pope St. John Paul II, reaffirming that um, basically humanity Vitae can never change. But it was in there that Monsignor Molina revealed that this is where the whole perspective of what's going on in the JP2 now, it totally clicked for me. Because he said that in the Constitution, that St. John Paul II, in his vision of what he founded this school on, the sole purpose of this institute was to defend the teachings of Humana Vitae. The future is bleak for that institute, but the future is so bright for a true institute of what St. John Paul II, which is in here and in here of all the students that have come before me and now is the time to rise and diane i wanted to thank you for being with us on this episode of the john henry weston show thank you john henry good to be with you and may god bless you all and good night